0: Hi, guys, and welcome back to The Paper Fold. I am your host, Sarah, and I am so glad to be back after being missing in action a little longer than I intended. I got caught up in the perfect storm of the Noted at Noted Awards, my summer stationary trends deadline, and the end of the craziest school year ever. All that was seasoned with a phantom podcast interview that I have devoted a lot of time to chasing down. And while this is not the episode with the interviewing question, fingers crossed, I will have it for you eventually. Today's guest is someone who I have wanted to have on for a really long time, pretty much since I started this podcast, because not only has she been shaking up the industry pretty much since she came on the scene, she is just a magnificent interview, as you will shortly hear for yourself. Victoria Venturi was living in L.A. and working in publicity and PR for major brands. We're talking Fox, Hilton, Disney while also trying to make a name for herself as a comedian or an actress when she started paper epiphanies, essentially with bits from her routine serving as card copy. But paper epiphanies is about so much more than beautifully letter pressing swear words as it was first recognized for in the industry. It is about normalizing difficult, authentic and vulnerable conversations amongst women, whether it concerns navigating the workplace or motherhood, with humor and charm. She really approaches greeting cards and communicating in the medium conceptually. And I really believe that this approach is what keeps greeting cards fresh and evolving and alive. And Victoria's business has come full circle, as you'll hear, with the opening of the award-winning Paper Epiphanies flagship store in Portland, Oregon on this past April Fool's Day. It's all coming up after this. Hey, paper peeps. So by now, many of my listeners are familiar with the force of stationary nature, better known as Girl with Knife. But if you aren't, time to change all that. From the first moment I spied her booth at her New York Now trade show debut in 2019, I was smitten with this cutting edge range that the world was calling out for. We all just didn't know it yet. Everything is nimbly collaged to life, slice by careful slice, by the talented and exquisite Alicia Castaldi. This stylish collection of cards, journals, and notepads that have sprung to life under this fashionista's exacting knife is sharp, snarky, sleek, and occasionally very sweet. Just like that BFF who would love to hear from you right now. For that reason, whenever I get my hands on Girl with Knife merchandise, I hoard it and use it most sparingly. Alicia recently launched gift wrap, and if you're already a fan of her range, you're familiar with her patterns and quality, but But these super thick sheets elevate any gift from Off the Rack to Atelier. Her recent releases of Midnight Botanical, Rare Creatures, and Chasing Dreams bring the total styles that slay up to 10. And if you're like me and that you fall in love with a range and want to reside in that world, you're in luck. Alicia recently unveiled Knife House, which was one of the few good things I can think of that came out of 2020. That was when Alicia shifted her operation from L.A. to this newly renovated concept home in Palm Springs. This completely private, walled, and gated estate features panoramic mountain views and countless Luke's surprises. Take a tour through its magnificent blush pink doors at www.knifehousepalmsprings.com or find it on Instagram at Springs. Good luck getting your jaw off the floor as you take in this perfect California adult playground. These glamorous digs are available for photo shoots, film projects, special events, and short-term rentals. But just as importantly, all that exquisite Palm Springs flora and fauna have inspired Alicia's soon-to-be-released journal and notepads. She tells me that they're also expanding into home decor, which I, for one, absolutely can't wait to see. So now that you've glimpsed this wonderful world, you need this cutting edge lifestyle brand in your life. Find Girl With Knife in hundreds of shops across the US and half over half a dozen countries. Alicia and Girl With Knife have also been featured in New York Magazine, LA Business Journal, BuzzFeed, and of course, Stationary Trends. I've run her work there countless times. Alicia was one of our 10 designers to watch in 2020 and proceeded to live up to that designation when last May, two out of her three nominated cards took CHOP honors at the Noted and Noted Virtual Greeting Card Competition. Then for our winter 2021 issue of Stationary Trends, Alicia designed the 10 designers to watch Frontispiece for us. It is something else if you haven't seen it yet. Also, as of 2021, Alicia is represented by none other than the Daniel Richard showrooms in Atlanta and Dallas. Dan's eye is renowned in this biz, so his representing Girl with Knife is unsurprising, but it also means that this brand needs to be on your design radar stat. Check out this beguiling range at the recently refreshed girlwithknife.com. Right now, the theme is Season of Fierce, and I think we can all use one of those about now. I guarantee your stationery will slay. We're here in the Paperfold. I have Victoria with me. Victoria, welcome to the Paperfold. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's so funny you say that because that, like this whole time I've been doing it, like every time I saw you or like heard you quoted, I was like, I'm going to have Victoria on. I just have to like, I just have to get my ducks in a row.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I'm so excited
0: to be here and to, to talk today it's it's really fun and um i as i mentioned to you when we were prepping like i it's it's we're at the point in our culture where when i have a podcast guest i have to listen to all their appearances on their on other podcasts so um while i was prepping for this interview i listened to the three other podcasts you've been on um so first i listened to proof to product with Katie Hunt that was really informative but pretty much what i you know, expected, uh, right. since I witnessed, uh, the paper epiphany's trajectory firsthand. And it was kind of early on to that. Yeah. You, that you spoke to her. Um, I did really like your advice for building relationships with editors. So anyone who wants to know more about that should give that episode a listen. Yeah. Um, then, then I listened, uh, to the imperfect feminist where you talked about running a feminist business and, um, you brought up a real, a lot of really interesting points about your approach to business, which is really already about empowering women that I know we'll touch on later, but it was your appearance on a Portland podcast called the Imperfect Mama that really got me. I, I knew it was going to be something else. As soon as I heard the host doing an ad with such enthusiasm for a, a Portland place to get a Brazilian or a back wax. And <laughs> She was so enthusiastic. It made me want to move to Portland. Yeah. (laughs) Because in Cleveland, if you call a salon and ask if they do Brazilians, they'll be laughing at you before you hang up (laughs) and don't ask how I know this. Um, But it was a really engaging, fun episode. And really, I had no idea that when you first moved to LA, you were an actress, you were reading for roles like hooker number two. I love that your response was, if I'm going to play the hooker, I need to be hooker number one. So You know, I've got to wonder how these experiences informed your approach to creating, you know, what can only be defined as a feminist range of stationary. It's kind of a crappy world for young women at times out there. So how do these experiences inform the messaging that you put out there?
1: Definitely. I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, not only being a young woman, but being a young woman in Los Angeles, trying to do start uh, stand up comedy and be an actress, I think was, is was quite a uh, interesting journey and provided a lot of fun content for the cards uh, that you see in my line now. But I do think uh, even, you know, 2007 to 2009 is when I was really doing stand-up comedy and, and acting full, pretty much full time in Los Angeles. It was even different than it is now. I mean, now with Netflix and female comedians are kind of empowered in a new way, which is awesome. But mm-hmm. I think I took a lot of that experience um, of double standards. I think women are often told like, "Don't be a slut," or they're like, "But be kind of slutty so that guys will like you," or you know, you know, don't be too feminist in business, but don't look like a man either. You know, it's like you get all these mixed messages that women are given all day long about sex, career. You know, marriage, motherhood. And so, Paper Epiphanies is kind of that dichotomy of let's talk about all these double standards and let's just kind of have an authentic conversation. Uh, Motherhood is awesome and beautiful and hard and messy. And I think for a long time, greeting cards were kind of liars. You know, we kind of just put what we thought was supposed to be on a card, what what marriage was.
0: Be. Right. Or buy into these sort of like saccharine truths that our culture exactly. sort of put out for yes. us. Yeah. Like, congrats on this beautiful
1: journey into motherhood and a baby and beauty and happiness, which for some women that is. And for a lot of women, it's not. And we definitely don't make cards for every single, you know, experience in life because that there's so many. But we do try <laughs> to kind of highlight some of those other ones and some of those double standards, especially as women that we experience. So,
0: that, that journey definitely has informed a lot of the cards that we write. So you've said with paper epiphanies, you want women to know their why, which I think is so cool. Um, so can you talk a little bit about creating this space where empowerment intersects with humor? Definitely. I think,
1: first of all, I think we need to laugh at ourselves more. I think we're all <laughs> imperfect and messy, and I think our cards give women people but most specifically women an opportunity to laugh at themselves um and our cards aren't mean you know I think some stationary lines do that well you know they are very um they pick at you you know or they're they're making fun of your age you know all of our aging cards are age positive it's more about let's laugh together at how fucked up this situation is or let's talk about the fact that this happened to you and it's so shitty and like why hasn't anyone just directly said this to you? And I think there is this, this intersection of vulnerability and authenticity that can be funny. Um, That that expression, we have to laugh or we're going to cry. I think we really play with that a lot. And we kind of call out those moments that are really hard, but Uh be really funny at times too. Um, Absolutely.
0: And that's like a very private thing that goes on between women that you sort of brought into this, new format, which is, like, really shocking. Like, it's a really, really revolutionary idea to me.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And I think I think when we started it, especially seven years ago, um, it was kind of like people would focus on the profanity, right? Like, oh, this card says fuck. And so that was kind of how our, our line was defined when actually it was much, much more about having a real conversation and not so much about just being profane. Um, and if you really know Paper Epiphanies and you read our cards, you can see that the copy is... Our strong suit. That's what we do best as we write. And we write in a way that brings people into those real conversations. And yeah, sometimes it's profane, but oftentimes it's vulnerable or just straight down the middle, you know, or humorous. Um, so it kind of runs the gamut of, of different emotions for sure.
0: Right, right. Well, like people were so shocked that you were letter pressing the word fuck. But the, really, what the now shocking I, thing is <laughs> the word fuck. I mean, now I it's Now years.
1: it's nothing. It's like the,
0: sacrilegious but now right right yeah no it was sacrilegious but the, really the more shocking thing was was that you were bringing this vernacular into this you know centuries-old format Paper Peeps, so Kitty Meow Boutique has been a fabulous client of mine for a while now, so hopefully many of my listeners are familiar with not just the dazzling wares from this Chicagoland house of paper, but also its amazing founder, a force of nature better known as Catherine Hildner. This mom of two, with another scheduled to arrive soon, has created a most intoxicating stationary range. I define the Kitty Meow aesthetic as polished and very Smart. Think of the sharpest outfit you own that you feel like a million bucks in, but In stationary form. Everything from typography to envelope choice comes together to pack a most enticing punch. But this range is not just about the surface, it's about honoring those connections with those we care about most. And you'll see once you visit kittymeowboutique.com that the wares are divided into witty and sweet because, as Catherine puts it, sometimes you feel a little saucy and sometimes you don't. But Kitty Mia Boutique is so much more than just another pretty face in the marketplace. The empowering messaging found on her cards, invitations, journals, coasters, art prints, and enamel pins elevates the range into something that makes you feel n- not just seen, but good about yourself, too. Everything is essentially a little lift, visually and emotionally, for not just those you love, but you as well. Not only is Kitty Meow available for your personal shopping needs, it's also available wholesale to all those shops looking for something new with which to excite their customers. She's on FAIR. Visit kittymeowboutique.fair.com and get your shop started. Finally, I think what I love about Catherine most is that she is really all about living your best life, as you'll see for yourself beneath the education tab on her site. She offers KMB Signature Collective, a mastermind for women in the product-based business world who have a love for paper and giftable items, who have an idea and a plan, but need guidance and support to be successful in their efforts. I so agree with Catherine. It's so important to be surrounded by like minded women and leaders who are willing to put in the work to lift each other up. For that reason, it's not a course, it's a friggin transformation, people. And Catherine has also started my second favorite podcast, Dreams to Plants, with another brilliant force of nature, my girlfriend Renee, to elevate your daydreams to actual, tangible plants. Oh, and if you're on clubhouse, follow Kitty Meow so you can tune in to her weekly room Wednesdays at 12 pm. Eastern Standard Time. It's called Small Business Savvy Insider Secrets You Need to know. I checked it out for myself last week and it was just the dose of inspiration and confidence my day needed. So get those good vibes going at Kittymeowboutique.com and tell them Sarah sent you. So my first thought, like when you first came onto the scene when I heard your company name, no lie, I was like, great name. But w- epiphany, really? Like, I already have so much trauma around the world, word stationary and it being misspelled so often. So uh, most people don't know what an epiphany is. Epiphany is, let alone how to spell it. So like, I want to know what kind of response you've gotten over the years. Do people get it? Were you s- explaining people how to spell it for the first three years of business?
1: This is a great question. I was laughing when I read it. Um, my mother-in-law bless her heart um loves to go sugar paper now there's a great
0: name
1: <laughs> <laughs> why would why couldn't you think of a name like that she loves to just say that like she says it at least twice a year like just as a reminder that i failed at choosing the right business name um no i, I do <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a great gift you gave her right? forever yes, she can use forever. it she can pull it out of her hat. <laughs> A hundred percent. Um, you know, I think, yeah,
1: there's definitely pros and cons to the word epiphanies. I think spelling obviously is the big one. Um, (laughs) I do, I do kind of secretly love the fact that we're asking people to rise to the occasion. Like if you know our card line, you know, that it's highbrow comedy, you know, it's, it's deeper conversations. It's not for everyone. And so I think if I have to define the word epiphanies for you, I love, I love it. Let me bring you into our world. Let, let me tell you, about our company and you know I ghostwrite for a few other lines and one of them is called paper rebel and I was there Uh for the the, uh, creation of that name and I couldn't help but be a little bit envious like paper rebel like Jesus like fuck it's so simple you know like it's just so simple but then the more I thought about it you know our card line isn't simple and epiphanies occur in all times of life all occasions of life these spontaneous ideas that you get and I think it really allows us to not be limited in being just saccharine or just sweet or just edgy. You know, we have epiphanies every day um, for all different emotions. And I like that we have that range to write to.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, in the circle of life that you're going through them at all times, I mean, you have two toddlers or you have a newborn, is your baby still a newborn? Uh, four months. Yeah. Four months. Four months. That's still a newborn. Yeah. That what you're going through with them is very different than what I, my daughter's about to turn 15. And I'm having all sorts of maternal <laughs> epiphanies that I was not having <laughs> when she was in diapers. I love how your name looks letter pressed on the back of your cards. It's a beautiful word to see. Letter, it looks the, the brand looks very nice. So, all, I, I'm I sorry, gonna, go
1: on. We've had a couple of buyers come in and to our delight think that it was like, Oh, we thought epiphanies might be religious, and then whoa, it's not. So, I love too that there's this little bit of like extreme dichotomy where like people might think it's like very, very, you know, soft or even religious, and then. Clearly
0: it's, not. <laughs> it's not that kind of epiphany <laughs> so um, I love that you first got into letterpress when you were married because you saw a fancy invitation suite and wanted to do it yourself um, I've sort of come to consider those invitation flatlines paper porn like I think they just like get into brides under their skin and they can't stop like they're not happy until they get that suite oh, yeah. Um, so I want to hear about the invitation suite that you that took you in, and um, and then sort of like about the process of learning to letterpress um, that brought your range into existence.
1: Yeah, um, it's funny I haven't thought about it in quite some time, and now looking back, it was a very traditional, simple uh, Bella Figuera uh, invitation suite. Um, just, well, those you know, are
0: gorgeous,
1: quadruple thick square just black and white letterpress. Um, but it was about five thousand dollars. Um, which now I'm like, yeah, let's I can't wait to get married for our 10-year, let's do it again. But like <laughs> a lot of money. And at the time, you know, like we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Like that there was no way in hell I was gonna be able to afford a five thousand dollar wedding suite. And so I started researching um local Los Angeles companies that would help you learn how to letterpress in order to get this invitation, to design it at like a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. Um, And that led me to my printing kind of mentor, a woman named Mabel, who lives in Los Angeles and has actually mentored quite a few uh, letterpressers in the industry. Um, And Mm -hmm. she's got a um, line called La La Press. Mm -hmm. And and so she sort of brought me in and taught me how to letterpress print unrelated to a greeting card line. And my father was diagnosed with leukemia and died within two months, right mm. around that time So we moved our wedding up. And as a result, I never actually printed my own wedding invitations. Mabel did it for me, because um, I was in the hospital with him. And it became this kind of friendship that we had. And I was like, God, I, I, I want to spend time with her again. And I, I want to also like spend more money with her to thank her for printing these cards that weren't even supposed to be part of the deal. And so I said, hey, I have this some of this stand-up material. I think I want to just do some cards, turn these into cards. And as a result, I got to spend more time with Mabel and learn how to print more. Um, and that's sort of how Paper Epiphanies was born, in that weird in-between of loving wedding invitations and losing my dad and and having a lot of stand-up material that I no longer had a use for <laughs>
0: wow wow so it it kind of was an epiphany like you know when you're in that point in life when you're sort of shifting gears and finding what the next thing is my dad was one when he passed and Mm -hmm. I think I was at this
1: moment in my life where I was like you know I've been doing publicity for 10 years I moved to Los Angeles to do something creative and press releases are only so creative. So I really wasn't, you know, maximizing or performing. And in LA, you know, you can't really just do stand up for fun. You can't do anything for fun in Los Angeles. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're doing anything remotely related to entertainment, you must be trying to be an actor. Like there's no other, like now in Portland, I could do like an open mic night for fun and nobody be like, Oh, so you're trying to be famous they would just be like oh you're 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 trying to have fun and this is a hobby but it, there's no hobbies in los angeles
0: right it's such a crazy world it's yeah. such a it's yeah. it seems yeah. like like i've never lived there i've only visited and i'm more of a new york so i never yeah. really feel at home in la but like it's such a like it's yeah. so intense like people are Very so intense. and they're so much more serious in a way i think that people in new york aren't about the business and image and like oh yeah it's like crazy. And so as a
1: result, I had no creative outlet really for, you know, writing or stand up or, you know, performing because I wasn't at that point, no longer trying to make a career out of it. I just wanted to do it for fun. And so writing cards kind of became that outlet for creativity that I had been missing. Um, And I was working full time for the first 15 months that I started Paper Epiphanies. Wow.
0: Wow. That's a lot. It was a lot.
1: It was uh, my favorite part of the story of that Time of my life, mm-hmm. I was like, I can do both. I had worked, you know, to get to this level. I was making six figures as a publicist, and you know, I reached that point in my career where I had really great relationships with journalists. I wasn't like cold calling so much. I could call, you know, respected peers, and and you know, I was on
0: that level of publicity. Right, and right. You had it sort of reached a point where you could kind of cool your heels a little bit, and that's why you were able to probably to do something. Right, so I was totally able to new. do this fun side project, so to speak. And then at
1: the time, my boss, my last publicity job, was for a toy company, mm-hmm. and she said, "Hey, we have this um, this project. We want to give you um, Disney rated it a medium in terms of success, and that was Frozen. Wow, so she gave it was me- medium. Yes." Yeah, like I, I think it's public knowledge now, I hope, or this is gonna be a very expose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they do internal ratings for their movies before they come out. And they had ranked Frozen on the same level as Brave, the movie Brave, in terms of they thought it was gonna be that level of success. It was kind of alternative at the time with nobody getting married and you know, this this rogue princess. And so they they weren't sure right. how it was gonna be received. And so I was given all of the consumer product PR for the movie Frozen. Mm-hmm. Um which then took wow. that pulling my heels position to an extreme. I was traveling all over. We had an Elsa doll that sang Let It Go in 20 languages. This is before I had children, so I didn't understand any of it. I was like, who the fuck wants this shit? Now all, now I'm like, free toys? I wish I could go back in time. Oh, my God. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Yeah, so I actually think <laughs> it was a blessing because I, I ended up resigning from my job a lot earlier than I probably would have. Because it be, had become so demanding, working on Frozen um, and having paid companies, which was kind of really, you know, I had won the Rising Star right. award, and I had kind of hit this trajectory where the two just couldn't continue together, and so I resigned in October of 2015 from my publicity job. And wow, yeah, that it it, it kind of forced my hand. So I'm actually really grateful that that I got. That I wasn't just cooling my jets because who who knows how long I would have continued to do both. Um, I'm I'm kind of a perfectionist, and so it was mm-hmm. hard not be having an A in both. You know, I was probably right. still, I think I think I was still doing a B in both, but <laughs> but I was ready to be able to commit to something full time, and and so yeah, um, yeah, years ago, but.
0: Absolutely. I mean, in Frozen, like that was a media friend. Like my daughter was actually like she was maybe five when Brave came out. And then when Frozen came out and uh, Frozen was probably her last like I'm going ga 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 over Disney type of thing uh, just because she aged out. But um, I can't imagine keeping up with both of them but i just think it's so cool that you started paper epiphanies as sort of like almost like a like a backdoor like almost like to just sort of as a creative outlet but mm-hmm. it it soon like became center stage and really took over your life um which is which le- which is a great lead into my next question i mean so you when you started it you started in 30 square feet of a one bedroom apartment in 2014 two wholesale accounts Jet by January 2020, you were in over t- 2,000 stores. You were featured on NPR, Forbes. I mean, you were a um, your are were but are a major player. Um, But by April, but just a few months later, more than 95% of those 2,000 retailers were closed. Your accounts receivable was the highest ever. Um, Hundreds of thousands of dollars are owed to you. Um, Yet at that point, you see a spike in direct to consumer. So just like when you started, it's just you packaging and shipping every last card. Um, But then You totally shifted gears yet again. And on April Fool's Day of this year, you opened your flagship store in Portland, your card wall accessorized in neon, hot pink neon, um, just won an industry award, so I just wanted to ask you, like, how it occurred to you to open a store? I mean, just as everything else was closing down, um, when I started at Gibson Deck um, years and years ago, my editor was this very wise woman named Phyllis Swede, who taught me so much. And she used to say, "People ask me what kind of store I would open, and I always tell them I would never open a store." Period. <laughs> so, um. But you have to imagine it in like a, in yeah. like
1: a very world.
0: At the same time. And she's like, never, 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 never. I would never open a store. I tell you, and you can print that. <laughs> yes. uh, so, so why did you take that? Like, what made you want to open a store? I just had like PTSD from that, like rehearing that post. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. That was, that was all quoted from a post that Victoria did on Facebook, by the way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, you know, last March, um, you know, just like most businesses in America, we had to furlough our team. um, And it didn't matter at the time. I mean, it mattered that we had to furlough our team, but we were so slow. It was like, okay, well, every store that buys from us is closed. But then we started getting this really amazing spike of consumer orders online, which was so wonderful. However, I was the only employee of the company. (laughs) So I was packaging all these orders again and I had this epiphany moment of like, Holy shit. Like at the end of the day, this is how it started. And it's just people that resonated with our cards. And now here I am again, packaging these cards. Um, but I think for me, it, it, it was a realignment in the fact that what I do best is B2C, um, for those business to consumer. I mean, I was a publicist for so long and for, since our you know inception paper epiphanies has really just been a wholesale brand um, selling in other stores. And right. we've had, we've had a you know pretty great success with that. However, there's not a place where people can go to be consumed by our brand. They, they there wasn't, they could go to our website, but a website's a website. They could go into paper source, you know, <laughs> which, you know, had seven of our cards or maybe one of our like best cult retailers that carry 30 of our SKUs. Okay. But we mm-hmm. have over 500 SKUs. Like where could people go to be immersed in that brand? And so I always, I don't say always, I, I never, a lot of people are like my dream one day is to open a store. I didn't start paper epiphanies with that dream, but it became more and more obvious to me each year that in order to really experience our brand, the way that buyers do when they go to a trade show, mm-hmm. we have to a store because that's the only way people can really get it. And right. it. They are. They have. I mean, we we pushed our opening twice, and then I realized that we could open on April Fool's, and I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> Let's just do it. And that way, and also in my head, I was like, if we don't make the deadline, I could say, just kidding, April Fool's <laughs>
0: opening. And, then it, and, like, <laughs> and if anything goes wrong, it's April Fool's Day. Right? Exactly. You have like so this awesome. built-in in. I mean, I love the idea that you are creating like a space for your brand. Because I mean, one of the things that consumers miss out, on is the magic of trade show of, of trade shows, where you you can walk into a booth and you're like immersed into this funky little world. Totally, um, really
1: cool. And I think, I do think that that showed me, I also think buyers got it more. They'd come in and be like, oh, like to see one context, one card of ours, especially if it's like one of our true like paper epiphanies tone yes out of context you're like whoa this is kind of crazy to see see like what we're doing and the way we're talking and how it sits together i don't think there's a match for that i think our our conversion at trade shows is very high people that come into our booth that don't write an order is very low and so the same with our customer in in the store, I mean, a lot of people that have come in know us from social media, from our website, but a ton of people are just neighborhood people who come in and there's that moment of stand-up comedy again, where I, if I'm in the shop, I'm like waiting. I'm w- first of all, I'm waiting for the Karen to be like, why does everything say fuck? I'm with
0: my granddaughter. You know, like I'm waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> May I speak to the manager? <laughs> oh, you're going to, you're going to shine <laughs> at that moment. I
1: can't, I, I can't wait. Um, but but more so it's that moment, right, where people are walking up to the card wall. And I had that same moment of, like, getting on stage and, like, waiting for them to laugh for the first time. And there's nothing better than just, like, the cu- we had a couple in last weekend that was just almost embarrassingly loud laughers just laughing (laughs) laughing laughing they were on the card wall for like 40 minutes and I was like this is this is so great it was like such really like full circle moment of just hearing people laugh um yeah I think for us we were already all in you know we we had a large warehouse that we were paying for so to speak during COVID it wasn't like it's not like we went from our basement to a storefront so to speak I think we had already been a point in our in our business trajectory where we had a lot of overhead. And so while this was a risk, it, it it was a mitigated risk and I think the reward has already shown to be so great in in the ability for us to really showcase our brand on such a massive scale.
0: Yeah, I mean and I can imagine when you see people come in, it must be fun to watch see what they laugh at and then see what they ultimately buy yeah uh, um I, I would think that that gives you like it's like market research insight that's invaluable like the uh, ones that I will say that I will finally admit to my all my
1: stories who have been asking me for years like do you just have a card that says happy Mother's Day? and I would be like no, that's so fucking boring. we don't we don't have a card that only says Happy Mother's Day. We do not have it. we're never gonna make it. it's fucking dumb like say something even if you don't like your mom like like have it be like a funny sentiment. I swear to God, the number of cards we fucking sold, that just say Happy Mother's Day is shocking. People are so just like boring. All they like, come in. Do you have a card that just says Happy Mother's Day? I'm like, oh my God, they're right. People just want a card that says Happy Mother's Day. It's so weird. Anyway, so retail (laughs) retail partners, we will be coming out with a card that just says Happy Mother's Day next year because apparently people want that.
0: Uh, But you can do. It says fuck it happy Mother's Day.
1: People are like, oh no, just just Happy Mother's Day. I guess we're gonna be could... bold and edgy with our text and our color. Okay, fine. But yeah, I mean, already I'm learning things for sure. But <laughs> I, do, I do think that um that people are pleasantly surprised. I think that they even people that, you know, judging a book by its cover, people tell me, Oh, they here's where they usually shop and I can tell by what they buy, kind of the the type of consumer they are, they still find something. Um, and if they don't, that's okay. I mean, I think that's always been kind of one of our mottos is we're not for everyone. And I think our store is the same way. I think we curate what we carry very specifically to um, be a compliment to the paper epiphanies brand. And there are, of course, a couple of those down the middle, happy birthday general cards, but for the most part, what you're going to find is paper with attitude and that we're okay with that.
0: The sense I get from uh, the, the images I've seen of your story, I mean, it really is like a living articulation of your brand. Um, and that is why, as you said, when you entered the Noted it, Noted Awards, which you won best card wall for, by the way, congratulations. <laughs> um, you said there's there was like a field where you can kind of like describe the, whatever it is you're entering and you just put in the field, people are losing their shit over it. Um, which I thought Last was year, great. I realized
1: going to do this beautiful post with all of the like, finalists, and it was like wood carved, amazing this, and I was like, people were losing their shit over it, and I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of our brand anyway, but I was
0: like, wow, yeah, I should it's <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, like, it's such a powerful seven words (laughs) to describe. I know, I know. Well, the, and everybody's card wall was very special and everybody approached it. All retailers approach their card wall in a very special way. And, you know, that is true to them. And I just thought that that was a great way um, to be true to yourself. Um, And I mean, like, I love that you surrounded it in pink, hot pink neon. I mean, like, I'm a big fan of neon is that somebody fell in love with old New York, you know, anyone who loves old New York loves neon because it disappeared. So I just thought that was such a great choice. Um, So I want to hear about how you approached bringing your brand to physical life and, You know, you obviously knew a lot of paper stores. Like, what did you want to do in bringing your brand to life, and what did you not want to do, and what did you do instead?
1: Great question. I mean, I think to begin with, we worked with a company called Mandy Rigger Interiors, um, who knows all the specifics of like how to build a wall and things like that. (laughs) Um, I think, I think maybe I'm like, I was like her best worst client. I don't know, but I like, (laughs) I I had a very specific vision. And I think that was helpful in that like a lot of times she said brands come to her and they're like, eh. like they, they, they're starting their brand for the first time or something and they don't have, and I was, had a very, very specific sense of what that I wanted.
0: Was not, that was not your problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was not our problem. I was like, this is what I want. This is where the card wall is going to go. This is what I want, you know, but she helped kind of be like, okay, well, this needs to be this high and, 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 and helped, helped uh, with our choices in terms of like, let's not make it look like a porn store. And that was actually a conversation we had often, surprisingly enough, because our colors are pink and black. And so very quickly, it could have been like a porn store.
0: And And neon.
1: Yeah, and neon. So we had to find a way to make it luxury (laughs) with, you know, an elegant edge, which is what our brand is. How do we pull back in some places and then go extreme in other places and make this still feel very elegant and luxurious? Not like a porn store. And we do sell vibrators as well. So we had to be very careful.
0: (laughs) No, you could easily like make a wrong left turn and end up in like times square 1972.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think the choice that we ultimately made to not, uh, for a while, we were toying with the, the, there being neon words over the card wall. And I think when we kind of started making the neon more of an architectural element and letting the card shine and, and, you know, leading with the product and the brand, I think always helped bring us back to kind of home. Um, but I I knew that I wanted to curate our store by color. I knew mm-hmm. that um, I wanted to work with uh, almost all female owned brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't work with only female owned brands because there's other brands. I think that tell a great story. Whether those are you know LGBTQ founders mm-hmm. or a lot of brands have female artists. Um, sure, and they're not only women, but you know that's another great way to showcase female talent. So. I kind of went into building out the brand knowing that, and I've also known for the last three years that I would eventually do this. So I had a long line of, of brands I knew I wanted to purchase from. So people often say, like, "Oh, how did you curate all these items?" And I'm like, "Well, I've been doing it for in my head for years, right? Like, for right, years,
0: right. No. How many, how many bra- how many brands do you buy? How many in total? Would you say another?
1: I would say another sixty to seventy. Um, yeah, that's a that's a nice mix. Brands, but." Yeah, and but I, I mean,
0: you've it. been at shows, you certainly yeah. have gotten to, I mean, you've gotten acquainted with people that you wanted to carry and just acquainted with different visual aesthetics, Definitely. I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, our number two category is books, which I think is mm-hmm. rare for stationery stores in terms of yeah. a lot of people carry like, gifty type books, but not like, true, like, we have a lot of actual books, like, fiction, nonfiction, coffee table books, um, they're all kind of related to um, paper Epiphanies, in some way, in terms of the tone or, or what they're touching on. Um, but we do carry a lot of books. And I think that it feels fresh when you come into our store. Um, I think I created a video for Noted, a brand video, uh, uh, talking about our brand. I don't know if you happen to see that. No, uh, I'm going to have to. Yeah. But I mentioned in the video that um, when we were sourcing for Paper Epiphanies, we came across a lot of dog shit. And as you can imagine, it was a polarizing video. Um, <laughs> the Greeting card association messaged me and loved it and then used it as a sales tactic and, and signed it president of cards that kind of look like dog shit, but also pop up. Um, <laughs> to, uh, George, George said that. That's so funny. And I actually did buy his cards for the store after that. When he showed
0: me some <laughs> artist cards, uh, it was a great sales tactic. But This was the, jo- wait, I got, this is, I'm showing you a card that George sent me after the Noted and Noted Awards. Like you haven't lived until you get a card from George, who's like a very yes. well-brought Southern <laughs> person that says, bitch, please. <laughs> please. I'm wearing off on him.
1: I was his mentee a few years back. Um, and so we, we, we have a special bond, George and I, but- Um, the video is polarizing and I think it's funny because if you know, paper epiphanies, it it wasn't that polarizing. It's just kind of funny and edgy, but I think (laughs) it was the fact that I was called, And of course I didn't name any names, but yeah, I did find a lot of dog shit when I was sourcing for the store. And I think that just reiterates more of the fact that what we've curated for our shop is beautiful and high quality. Um, but yeah, I also uh, said that we don't carry enamel pins, or iron-on patches, which also was polarizing. Uh,
0: that's, that's very controversial.
1: It's not to poke fun at any other brands, but more so to, to just say, like, I think we have a really clear vision. We don't sell makeup. We don't sell jewelry. We don't sell enamel pens. Um, and we do awesome. There's a ton of stores that probably make a ton of money on that. It's just not what we do. And so I think having that very distinct editorial eye for us, for our brand, is kind of what is making our shop different than a lot of other shops.
0: It's so important. It's, I mean, you obviously will come in knowing what a brand what your brand is, but I mean, I see it in retail in stores I shop in locally and even at shows where people just shop for themselves. Like what you like was not necessarily going to be what will sell. And you know, you curated a, you know, a brand and an aesthetic and you know, you're only going to sell what speaks to that. Um, And I I love it. I I mean, I really get bored in a store that's not like that. Like I was so excited to go back to stores and like if I go into a boring store, it's like insulting. Like, come on, come on. I sat at home for over a year. Like this is all you have for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, people have been, I I do think I'm curious to see how long the footprint changes because people will spend a long time in the shop and I think mm-hmm. that's more of like a post-COVID fatigue versus the actual normal consumer behavior because people come in and they're like, oh, I've been inside for like a year. And they just like look at everything because they're just so happy to be like out of their homes. So I think we will see maybe the, the time frame shortening. But yeah, I think people, people like to have a different experience. And going back to your editor who said she would never open a store, I think, yeah, I'd never open one of those stores either. Like- Do you sell baby clothes or blenders? Like, what's happening? American people like. Do you have a card that just
0: says Happy Mother's Day? Um, Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's so funny. Um, yeah i I think you know i feel like <clears throat> i feel like all stores should be super special at this point i know when i walk into which when i walk back into a trade show which i cannot wait to do but the days when i always walked into a trade show there was always a part of me that was like 80% of this is landfill like 80% is just not thought out not well designed not well made thank sort you of- <laughs> Also known as dog shit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like, I really feel like I will, if my life's work could be just making, just raising the the product and c- putting less dog shit out in the world. Like, I will really have succeeded. And
1: you know, it doesn't. It's not necessarily about money. You know, art. We've never had larger than a ten by ten booth at a trade show. We've never had one of those huge, big, fancy booths. But it's just about the quality of your product and the. Edit, you know, the editorial eye and curating and 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 having that specific point of view, that's what makes it not dog shit. You know, it doesn't have to be this glory. I mean, I hope one day we can have a glorious booth with a couch and all that stuff, but we've never had that. So it's, it's not, it's not just about, you know, having the biggest and the best, but just having to your point, like something that's, that's well thought out and beautiful. And um, it really, you can really tell, especially as a buyer now, you know, I can, I'm I'm shocked at the quality control of the stuff that comes to to our shop, even from brands we've ordered from. You know, it's just, and it doesn't need to be pretty; it just needs to arrive not broken. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right, exactly. Just send it like it looked on the shelf. That's exactly totally fine. Wrap it up in some stuff and just get it to me, not broken. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, you have always known your brand so well, and I know we touched uh we touched on this a little bit but i'm wondering if you do um see this the industry a little more a little differently now that you are a, a retailer like are you are you walking any shows this summer and it, do you think you will walk it differently than you would have when you were just a maker just, not just a yeah. maker but you know yeah. just wholesaling yeah
1: um definitely we're going to we're going to be at shop object in september as a buyer not a cool. not um Going to do any trade shows this year on the wholesale front. Um, but yeah, I think A, I'll always be looking with an eye in terms of like what we could carry in our store. Um, and then, you know, I've, I guess, I guess the industry seems a little more competitive now. <laughs> I don't know. I think we always pride ourselves on, you know, being an industry that shares knowledge and, um, you know, kind of is inclusive in some way because in a lot of ways, cards are brand agnostic, you know. Mm-hmm buy a card
0: because it resonates with them, not because it's made by paper companies. That's just a right, fact. Right. Right. There's- and I've always loved that about our industry, that we're so right. friendly. And
1: yeah. and so I think that, I think uh, owning a store now has a different competitive feeling in that not from the industry, but from other stores or other, you know, retailers in, in Portland or just glo- nationally, I can just kind of sense a little bit of like, we're coming for you because we are. <laughs> right,
0: right. Well, everybody is selling differently. Some people are direct to consumer. Some sure. people like, you know, you're a maker, but you just open your studio for a couple yep. hours a week. You, yep. you know, everybody's doing it all differently. And there was a time... At stationary show, when all the buyers were people who had had these stationary shops for fifty years and had been doing their business the same way, yeah, um, as and as always,
1: a very specific vision in in some ways disruptive um, to the industry is kind of a little bit like it makes people just kind of be like, well, what are why why are we doing what we're doing? And I think that's a great question to ask in any industry, like why, what is your why going back to that? Why are you, why did you open a store or why do you want to carry our line? And I just think, you know, each day that goes on, we, we further refine that vision and, and we're just really excited to continue growing the brand.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, Finally, I mean, we mentioned this um, and I wanted to touch on this. I mean, you when you did PR, I mean, you you did it for like super, super big brands. I mean, you mentioned um, Disney and fro-, fro I mean, there's that was like the biggest kid's property of the last decade. Um, but you also were at Fox, Warner Brothers and Hilton. What do you what do you what do you think you took from them that they do that you do on a much smaller scale with paper epiphanies? It's a great question. I think,
1: um, you know, I, I, I've always kind of adhered to the plan for the business you want, not the business you have. And mm-hmm. I've always operated, at least from a publicity standpoint, from that that lens. I always knew. Um, that I wanted to have a bigger, you know, stronger company, but I had to grow smart, but my, my publicity has always been, um, tailored to that. And I think Mm -hmm. I I learned that not to be stingy. Um, like I'll give as a million, a million cards away. Like I'll I'll give you editors, um, people like sampling to me is like one of the number one things we do. I'll send 50 cards to a store that I want to get into, um, and again, that that's come with you know time and money. Ad, and yeah. Time. But at the same time, I think people are very nervous to give products away. And coming from a PR background, like you have to, like you have to get product in editors' hands. You have to find ways to connect with them. That's that's real. I mean, don't just unsolicited send product. Right. I mean, but I mean, right. like you have be to be targeted. Willing. Be targeted, but be willing to, you know. Put yourself out there to send products, to invite people into your shop, to um, find ways to connect. And I think you can't underestimate the power of marketing and PR. Like my our store is a giant billboard. Our wholesale right. are, are our wholesale's already greatly increased. Our online traffic is way up, and the only factor is the store. I mean, it's a big billboard, and so I think for me, I will always lead with. A, as, a, as a marketer, as a publicist with what what's the story that we're telling, why are we telling it, how can we tell it better? And I think uh, that that's a successful model for any brand. I mean, to know your story and to continually remind the public of that story is only just going to make your brand more visible and more cohesive. So I've always kind of operated with that uh, toolbox coming out of marketing and PR.
0: Right. That's so smart. I mean, I, people will come to me and be like, well, how do I get an Oprah? How do I get in? And like, why, I don't know why they're asking me, but no, it's so weird, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I do not Oprah and I do not email back and forth. So I do not have an in. Um, no, but I, you know, I always say go to go to your Barnes and Noble or a magazine shop, find the magazines you want, look at the masthead, find the name of the, sometimes it's the market editor. Sometimes it's, you know, they'll call, they'll have all different names. But, you know, if you look in the magazine, you find the person, you get their email, you reach out to them and you start building a relationship. You don't like send blind, you know, contact at cosmopolitan.com. The
1: worst is like, you know, like, when I would train, like, assistants under me, you know, know someone's beat. If they're, like, the food editor, don't send them a fucking card. Like, that's just going to make them angry. Like, find out what they write about. Find out what they care about. They're human. They're people. They also have deadlines. Like, and that's what I said on, you know, Proof to Product. But like. Make their job easier. Also, publicists have great ideas sometimes. Or brands have great ideas. Share that with the journalists. Maybe that's something they'd be interested in writing about. And it's not about your brand. Like, a lot of times, you know, that Marie Claire article that came out, um a while back which we were a, a big part in that is an amazing reporter who kind of was just tossing around an idea and I helped kind of develop that idea and like who else could you talk to what else could this be about how can we make this a cooler bigger story not just about us but like helping that reporter um or that journalist you know create a cool story and that's fun i mean that's fun for me cuz i used to do that for a living but i think if you approach it like that and not just like me, 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 like any relationship in life, right? you're going to have more success.
0: Absolutely. And I can tell you that editor, when you make that me, me, me approach, like, I mean, editors know it. Anybody knows it, you know, when yeah. you're just approaching Ever. someone with your hand out, like offer something. I mean, <laughs> not that you, need to, not no, that you no. need to send me tons of cards or anything, but like, you know, like just think about you know but the other like, person's perspective. if someone doesn't
1: know you that's the same thing you know like that would be awkward if someone was just like hitting me up for like build a relationship compliment them on one of their past stories invite them into your world in a way that feels real and not just like swarmy and like cheesy you know like what right, is right. what is the way you can do it in an authentic way just like building a friendship or a you know a relationship with a colleague like you have to earn that trust over time and you know reporting and journalism and PR is the same
0: way absolutely absolutely I I mean thank you yes (laughs) so I wanted to (laughs) I wanted to ask you about something I you know I don't remember where I heard you saying this it was in some kind of GCA marketing material but you were talking about I've been quoting this so much since you said this. Um, you were talking about millennials and you were saying that they don't need a holiday, for example, Valentine's Day, to send a card to their friend. They don't need to be told by our culture that it is thinking of you week and therefore you need to be thinking of someone like they <laughs> if the process is a little different with them according to what you said that they see the card that's right for someone, they buy it and then they send it. Um, so that's amazing. And that's like a really, really big, important shift. I, I think, um, so I want to hear, I want to hear your thoughts on this, um, phenomenon. Great question.
1: Uh, I think I first brought that up when I gave the keynote, the publisher speech at the greeting card convention, uh, in Cleveland. Um, and we had noticed, you know, over the first three to four years of our company that we didn't do that well at holiday. Like we, like we sold Christmas cards and like, that was fine. And it was like a moderate amount. And then our year round cards just sell like fire and not even birthday, just like friendship, connection, encouragement, very, yeah. Just kind of everyday cards. And we started to track this and yeah, to your point, millennials and especially Gen Z, they pride themselves on individuality um, they are, you know, they're into customization, but they're also very into like very specific inside joke relationships, even more so than past generations. And so they don't want to be told like, okay, let's all send each other a card for this. They they do not like the organized
0: activities.
1: (laughs) They want to be individual. And as a result, creating cards, which maybe used to be seeming niche cards that our very specific friendship to friendship sending situations, those type of cards that we do the most of that's our biggest category, even over birthday, which is kind of an industry. No, no. um, We see great success with that because that is our consumer. That's our, uh, you know, women, you know, 25 to 54, but 25, 25 to 44 really is kind of our, our, our core demo and, they buy those cards all day long because they resonate on a on a, a level of vernacular that they can that they that they see themselves in, and so they buy that card for the friend regardless of the occasion. Um, and I, Gen Z is similar, even even more so that they you know they they were born with the internet, they were born right. immersed in technology. You you have a Gen Zer, right?
0: Right. Okay. No, my daughter was born the same year as the iPhone. Yeah. So I mean, so nuts.
1: That's and I'm a, totally I'm, a, I'm, a, not. I'm
0: a millennial, but like kind of a cheating. I'm like, you know, I'm 36. So I'm
1: like, I think I'm two years into millennial, but I have a lot of Gen X tendencies. And so younger millennials and Gen Z are really the ones who've just always had technology. And they're the ones that come into our store and they want a bullet journal and washi, and they know what it is. And they want a, a specific card for their friend who's going to a Ibiza for the first time and whatever, or they, you know, and they see these cards and they, they're so tactile because I think it's because they're so digital. The rest of their world has always been digital. And so now they just want, they crave that tactile and they love that it sounds like them. It's not like their grandmother's greeting card. Right, um, right, right. They, totally. Totally, they don't even know that it used to be stodgy. Like they think right. it's and hip and they don't even realize that it's like
0: centuries-old <laughs> <standard laughs> tradition. You're like, hello, no. Doesn't we don't get it? I mean, they're too young to even yeah. know. I mean, I mean, just I mean, the this is so it's so revolutionary just because of the prevailing wisdom. I mean, like yeah. a company like Crane, for example, you know, the cornerstone of American Stationery, you know, they make all their money. For Christmas on Christmas cards and wedding well and wedding invitation. But you know, yeah. their most of their money is, you know, fourth quarter. And so for someone like you to come in and be like, oh no, we sell year round and not birthday cards. It's just all about communication. And it's just whenever the mood strikes someone, like that is radically, radically different. More. Some other brands actually do pay me to come in and talk to these things about these
1: things. But no, it is. It is a radical thought, Um, scary in some ways, scary that, you know, what happened to holiday or how can we get holiday back, I guess. But again, that customization, people send their holiday photo card out and that suffices for their kind of holiday card. And they go on about their business and they wait till they can send their next authentic unique greeting card to their friend.
0: Um, (laughs) Right, right.
1: I do think right. there's a lot of room even for, you know, our traditional big stationers to expand. Like with Mother's Day, we found a lot of success with Mother's Day cards for other women. Like I send a lot of cards to my girlfriends now on Mother's Day, which I don't think used to be really a, uh, a pattern we saw. You know, we would we would send it to our mom or to our wife, but now we want to validate other women in our lives who are also mothers. And that's kind of a new extension of that holiday. Right, so,
0: right. Has different individual. ways of yeah. recognizing
1: how can we continue to expand and, and add to those holidays in a way that that changes over time and becomes more authentic with each new
0: generation absolutely I and like I as you were talking about your generation I'm Gen X and like we're we're like the sandwich generation where like you know between boomers boomers who told us everything that we had to do and millennials who were there was just like more of them and um, you know we're very cynical I think we can kind of pick up this like we never really wanted to do anything we were told to do anyway so um, I think I think we We'll get it. And, uh, you know, um, but I, I do think that that is how, you know, that is how cards stay alive is that they're picked up by the next generation and sort of um, modified to how they communicate and, you know, and then it it just keeps evolving. Um, I mean, I I think it's great. And I think there's room for everyone at the table. Uh, judging the Louis every year and I judge the Louis, I'm like, I wonder how many of those cards I'm gonna see with like the long rhyming verses in them, <laughs> you know. So we, and- I I was on the Louis
1: committee this year and I judged the Louis this year, and I did not participate, even though technically you're allowed, but I was like, no, paper epiphanies will not be participating. We're gonna be completely non-biased. So we did not participate, but we but we were judges. Um, and it was really exciting, I think. And obviously, we don't want to give anything away. But I think it was, maybe to your point, very diverse entries. And also, I think a lot of the winners we're going to see are just, it's just great. I think it's great for the industry and a great testament to kind of the changes
0: that we're seeing. It was it was it was really fun. And it was fun to do the noted and noted, which is a little more designy, less judges. It's interesting to see them both. Um, not that one should be mass and one should be, you know, right. more boutique y, but I think you know, there's so much great design out there. The more we can kind of salute it and show what's going on, uh, the better for the better for all of us. So I cannot thank you enough for coming on. This was such a treat to catch up with you, and uh, I I feel like I can't believe it's already been an hour. Time flies. Um, No, it's a lot of fun.
1: It's really fun. It's nice to talk to uh, an an industry expert who gets it too. I think it. I think so much of the subtext is already. We already know, so you can have a really good conversation. You know.
0: Right. Well, I I think I've, you know, I've missed having these conversations. I'm sure you have. I mean, part of the thing about our industry is we like to get together and have you know, yeah. these discussions. And I never realized like how much I miss seeing people until I have it until I have a podcast interview. And then I'm, and then it like all comes back to we me. So
1: and It's going to happen soon. We're coming back. I feel it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now I really want to go to shop objects. So maybe yes. maybe we can walk a couple of rows. Maybe. Let's do it. Come to Portland and see the shop. I would love to. I keep saying to Amy that I want us to do like a stationary road trip where we just spend a month driving to stores and like. That would would be awesome. Um,
1: (laughs) The itinerant printer did that. He was a letterpress guy and he traveled around visiting all the letterpress studios. It was really cool. Well, we have a couple more Paper Epiphany stores in the works. So uh, we'll see uh, if maybe one's closer to a city near you. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on The Paper Fold. And thank you so much for listening. As always, email me at sarathepapernerd.com with anything I can do for you. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave me a good rating and review. I can't tell you how much that helps. Thank you so much, paper peeps. Please stay well.